All Things in the Name of Love, with your host, Dr. Erica Riesberg. Music performed and written by Megan Moreau. Can you help me redefine truth and preservation of our soul shine? I can feel it, yours and mine. Close your eyes and witness it inside. In your bones, you will know. Trust and let go. Season 3, Episode 7, Sustainability and Spirituality with Christopher Birds. All Things in the Name of Love, with your host, Dr. Erica Riesberg. Music performed and written by Megan Moreau. Can you help me redefine? Truth and preservation of our soul shine. I can feel it, yours and mine. Close your eyes and witness it inside. In your bones, you will know. Trust and let go. And let it Season 3, Episode 6, Sustainability and Spirituality with Christopher Birds. Yay! Welcome to another episode of All Things in the Name of Love. I'm so grateful to all of you who had patience for me this winter as I went through massive shifts in my consciousness and now living down in the Pastor region. And I'm so grateful that you were patient. And today I have my first guest of the spring, Christopher. Birds, and I'm so grateful that you joined me. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Dr. Riesberg. Yeah, you're welcome. And I just want to give a brief bio. Uh, Christopher is an entrepreneur who focuses on sharing a variety of products which are all based on having the best practices within their respective industries. This includes implement, implementing consent culture in his work and the permaculture values of earth care, community care, and self-care. I love, I love that you have this integrated mindset of how to actually live. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and I'm really curious about how you brought this in. Like, first of all, what called you into this realm? Um, I guess really trying to see what the highest calling was for me to do. Uh, was was what called me in. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of different teachers. Um, many of them have been, been people, and many of them have been different plants. Uh, and at this point now, with decriminalization of, of psilocybin, I can speak more openly about how that's also been a guide to me. So I've really been called to uh, integrate the healing of community and our planet uh, in, in a long trajectory. Um, but really right after I finished, uh, wrapped up college with a math degree, um, I saw that the highest thing, highest calling for me to do, uh, what I really wanted to be doing was, uh, a sense of activism, a, a kind of pragmatic activism though, more than just kind of cultural, slow cultural shift, which is how most movements happen. Um, and so I, I chose that rather than graduate school or jumping right into a job and doing the optimal thing for my bank account. Um, I've been working with, uh, with, uh, a company that released a pair of pruners and I realized that it was the best pair of pruners, uh, really sharp, uh, you know, high, high quality steel pruners and that the invasive ivy strangling the ecosystems around campus, um, kind of, if, if you look at the optimization curves and, uh, different functions, like if, if my life is, uh, a pattern or a function or, or something to do with the optimal thing for me to do while recognizing that I have the best quality tool and that invite invasive ivy is it's like the kudzu of the Northwest. 
really. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I jumped into ecosystem stewardship and I've helped over 600 trees from Ivy. And that's really what kind of launched me into permaculture. And I didn't have the, have the phrasing for it at that point. I was just wrapping up college. Um, but about a year later, I took a permaculture design course. And that was really the, the cornerstone that uh, led me along this path that's uh, it's gone a lot of different places. Yeah, because like for me, like I I used to be a community garden manager and yeah, we just had a garden, but we were in this um, we were in between the Audubon Society in Portland and uh, up in McCray Park. We had this little I don't know, this little valley in between everything and surrounded by trees and blackberry bushes. And I got a sense of like, how do I coexist with everything that's here? And we had deer and we had hummingbirds. And we had like, and it became like, I'm not just feeding me. I'm feeding the community, even really big slugs, like super big slugs. But like, it was, it was like, I'm not just feeding me. It's not just about me. It's like actually integrating myself into the land and appreciating that dynamic so um with that coming through me um explain a little bit more about permaculture as kind of a spiritual practice yeah uh well permaculture as as a basis uh can be seen as a contraction of permanent and culture and so it's uh, really, really a perspective of seeing things. And as we shift our perspective, what uh, what we see tends to change because we're shifting the, the eyes that are seeing that are seeing it. Um, and just as a, as a kind of uh, as an introductory note um, and method of recognition and gratitude. Uh, the First Nations have been practicing permaculture on Turtle Island by stewarding it and living uh, largely in peaceful community. There are some uh, some tribes that would relate with each other more in a war-based atmosphere, but compared to modern culture, in a, in a much more peaceful and harmonious way of living and interacting with each other in community and with the planet as a whole than we have been doing. So... Uh, and, and that not just goes for Turtle Island, but most uh, indigenous cultures around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at least the mind state uh, of of modern culture has largely been a colonized uh, perspective that's recognized as the West, even though it permeates very much into the East. Um, indigenous cultures all around the world have amazing teachings that are extremely aligned with, with permaculture. So I'll say that uh, to, to start off. Um, and that itself can also show an immense spiritual and religious, really spiritual uh, value to permaculture is through the millennium, how it's been practiced and intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for myself, I'd spent uh, about two and a half years intentionally living out of my car in order to live at various intentional communities up and down the coast. And part of that time, much of that time, really, I was also stewarding land on a small island near Seattle. And this is some family land that uh, had been de- developed. There's no structures on it. Um, and so I'd go to drive to town to uh, use facilities or get electricity. Um, but being able to steward land and have that as a real basis of personal development and of spiritual development. Mm. Yeah. I I had the opportunity to read Braden's class last summer. And I remember this one chapter that she wrote about really diving into recognizing the abundance around us. And it was in relation to picking things from a plant. And I had lettuce. And I was like, I'm going to try this with my lettuce. And so I'd walk up to the lettuce every time. And I said, lettuce, thank you so much for what you've produced. May I have a few leaves? And I had like 12 lettuce plants. Never pulled any up. I had lettuce from June to September and it didn't bolt. Because I showed it appreciation. And I was like, that's all we need to do. 
is shift it. It's like you don't rip it out of the ground and you don't take more than what you need. Yep. Yep. And it's just really shifted my understanding of what the plants give to us. Um, it's, it's stunning. I'm using, I'm, I'm concocting um, something for my apothecary with uh, calendula that I picked from my garden last year. Because there's so, oh my, wow, this is like, I, I'm amazed that I have this abundance of this healing plant that I can use to, to create other things. And, and it really is a shift in, in that grabbing and taking culture into recognizing that we only need what we need. We don't need to have everything. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's kind of different ways of, of approach and, uh, there, there used to be more of a caring for each other before caring for self approach mm-hmm. in indigenous cultures. And I've, I've had a few teachers and when a specific lesson will come, I'll, I'll credit the specific teacher. Um, but in general, what I've learned, uh, from various First Nations, uh, elders, um, is that the, I mean, the, the, the area along those coast Salish was, was particularly giving. And so during the winter, uh, indigenous cultures would often compete to see how much, uh, skilled arts and crafts they could produce, uh, whether it was basket weaving or canoe making or smoked salmon. Um, and, uh, along the Coast Salish area, so the Western, Western, uh, Pacific, Pacific Northwest, all the way down to, um, Marin County, essentially, or Santa Cruz, uh, would gift to each other. Uh, after having long winters and long houses together. Um, and that, that just goes to show a more extreme version of what was generally understood throughout the, the indigenous peoples of Turtle Island, that it was important to care for each other. And by doing that, you have a basic safety net, uh, which in the modern day system is, has been tried to be kind of replicated in a sense in terms of social security is that our our government issues a basic security if a person works a nine to five job for a few decades and then retires mm-hmm. into it. Um, it. It was just universal. It was based on the gift economy. You know, you have these rights for living. It's more aligned with something that at this point would be a universal basic income or a universal basic social security net. Um, but that, those don't exist yet. Um, and so at this point in, in the 21st century, most people are having to care for themselves before they can care for the community, right? Mm-hmm. And we see that in terms of fill up your own cup, and then you'll have a, an overflowing amount to be able to pour into other people's cups with. Because unfortunately, there aren't, uh, you know, four or five or a dozen people with overflowing cups that are asking you if they can pour into your cup because their cup's overflowing and they're looking for places to pour their overflowing cup into. Right, right. Well, because we don't have that culture of thinking of others. And we, and we I, haven't had. No, we ha- I mean, there are pockets, like I'm currently co-housing with people, and you've co-housed. Um, and it's a different dynamic because you actually care for the others. I found myself cooking. Uh, we have events in this house a lot, and I find myself wanting to provide meals. Nobody's asking me to. It's just a, it's a deep calling within me because I said, well, of course, I, I'm, I'm a cook. I can nourish. Um, and it feels so good to be able to provide that. You know, I have a gift. I can give it. You have a gift. You can give it. And it's not about like, well, I want something back. I mean, it'd be nice if you could pay for the ingredients. But like, you know, that's. That's like a different thing. Like with my service to the community with my with my food is just that. It's a gift that I'm sharing, and yeah. and it, it's so much more aligned with who I am than the selfishness. Yes, be selfish in that you take care of your body, your soul, and that. And through that, 
the selflessness that comes for it, because you're in a whole place, you're a complete person, you don't have a need to collect anything. Yeah, I think it's, it's good to be able to be in that state. And ultimately, there's, there's a good in having uh, a sense of abundance rather than deficiency. And it's important to live in a mind state of abundance rather than deficiency. Uh, but the, the reality is that at least among uh, the millennial uh, and younger generation, there's been a lot of uh, kind of the, the realism of uh, deficiency in resources yeah. and a deficiency in demand. And it's mm-hmm. in, in a way well displayed by the number and proportion you know, the, the ratio of uh, college graduates who have uh, minimum wage paying jobs. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that anyone who's working a minimum wage paying job is doing less important work than anyone who's working a different paying job. It's right. just that our society is not, and our economics and our uh, business sectors are not growing and developing at a way that's empowering, whether it's... Uh, Invest through investment in existing companies or investing in startups and entrepreneurship. Uh, it hasn't been a market, a set of market dynamics that's empowering for young people to create financial success. Mm-hmm. And so, something that I've actually been seeing is that there's a much greater state of being able to step into not just the perceptual places of abundance rather than deficiency, but the, the real, realistic place of it during the last year because of something for most people, not for everyone. So there's some people definitely falling through the cracks, but a large part of people of the population has essentially been getting a universal basic income, uh, especially through state governments. Mm-hmm. Consistent COVID payments over through state governments for the past uh, 13 to 14 months. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, the, yeah, I, it's, it, it's it's pretty significant the kind of behavioral differences that people can make when they're living in a space of abundance rather than a space of scarcity. Mm-hmm. The math of the, the hierarchy of needs is, is very real and alive for people when they're wondering about uh, where to safely park their car that night. You know, it impacts their uh, not just what they how they plan their previous evening, but also the the energetic state that they have throughout the day. Mm-hmm. When they don't know what's, you know, the coming the following day or the following week, mm-hmm. let alone a month to month financial scarcity, which right. is where making the ends meet comes to mm-hmm. comes from. Mm-hmm. Are you noticing with this this the shift over the past year um, more people? recognizing the deficiencies of the current system and going within more to find a deeper calling? Um, I think that the answer is yes, but maybe not in that order. I think that the, 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 the statements and the lockdown and the measures for from most states, um, especially along the West Coast, uh, has created a much more, uh, a greater sense of, uh, of living in place. Mm-hmm. And that also gets reflected inwards. And so people are sitting and kind of essentially having forced time for meditation. And it brings up a lot and people are doing a lot of internal work and personal development that they didn't plan to do. And uh, when when we're not distracting ourselves with the things that we're used to distracting ourselves, we might either distract ourselves with other things, uh, which for a lot of people it means uh, becoming extra addicted to social media or uh, falling into uh, Netflix and binge or alcohol and Netflix and binge uh, and abusive patterns with alcohol, more so with tobacco um, and some with harder drugs. Yeah. Uh, but for those of us who don't fall into coping mechanisms, having more time means we have a bunch of time that we 
aren't necessarily practiced or prepared to know what to do with, which means yeah. there's going to be a lot of time that introspection happens. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of personal development work I've seen over the past year or throughout community. I get that. I last year, last year, I was a, I was a historical consultant in the voiceovers. Right now, I'm in the midst of launching a catering business. Um, I do body talk on animals. I have a podcast and an apothecary. But these are all things that are fully aligned with who I am, but did I have any clue last January that this was going to be the path I was going to take? No, I didn't really have any idea. So it really opened up in moving to Northern California. Not really on my radar screen last year. <laughs> like, but that's like has really done the internal work. I'm seeing more of who I am and not not operating on the coping mechanisms or the programs that I've or belief systems that I've been brought up with. I still have belief systems that don't serve me, but they're becoming easier to find because they don't have as many distractions. Yep. Mind you, I still yeah. have distractions. And, and, and good on good on you for embracing for embracing embracing all of those callings and doing the work to be able to integrate and live in, in alignment and integrity. It's scary. You know, when you're stepping out of who you thought you were, um, it requires a lot of courage and a lot of well, tools and mentors and practices to do to help navigate it. And you know, one, of the, one of the gifts I, I hope that I can bring through my interviews is opportunity for people to work with others because it's important to find out who you are, really. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the basis of all relationships starts with a person's relationship with themselves. Mm-hmm. And then through knowing ourselves, we can start to really know other people. Yeah. And you can't... Having just uncovered a, a recent pattern this morning, I was like, oh, that's another belief system that I need to heal within myself. Um, and it's such a gift to give myself the space and the grace to not want to judge myself or define myself by what that part of me is. Yeah. What are some of the practices that you've done that have helped you get to a greater clarity of who you are? I believe that most people's uh, inhibitions and fears stem from fear of death. Hmm. And so meditation into the eternal. And so I, I see that as uh, pancronal, uh and gendered um, and pan special. And so I identify with all ages, I identify with all genders, and I identify with all species on Earth. And when you ask about the most significant, that would be the, the meditation in the, in the sense of being pan-chronal and meditating right before to the moment of identity yeah. of right before I, I die in this body. And I've spent many, many, many waking hours and meditation for that moment or in that moment. And so I think that to really answer your question, to live uh, really a very profound and meaningful life means that one of the greatest things that you can do is accept your own death. And for me, that's come both through some wisdom from some of the, the plant teachers that I've referenced, uh, as well as uh, now decriminalized mushrooms. 
as well as meditating into that moment of right before I pass on in the body. Because I believe that with as much gratitude and love and acceptance as I've already instilled and practiced into that moment, that it allows me to have a state of gratitude for when that moment comes. And thus what happens right after that moment through death, and in that, the ability to live a much more profound life every day and every moment until then. Yeah, because death is... It's such a fascinating fear. I experienced um, a level, a very deep level, a few months ago when I was driving on ice on I-5 and almost slammed into an 18-wheeler. Um, and when I got to the Ashland stop, I just had these waves of energy. The wind was just shaking, and I was like, I, I stopped, I just stopped, pause do it again and I was just releasing all of this fear that I didn't even know I had within me. And the gratitude I had in the moment while I was feeling this fear released from my body was I was I'm sobbing tears of of oh my gosh, it was terrifying and oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for this at the same time. It was so confusing and so beautiful because it was like this layer that I hadn't gotten to um, in the school. And so, and I had my friend Angela with me, and so I'm like, I'm not just going to kill me, I'm going to kill her. So I had all of that in me. And when I, when I felt complete with it, the light, because ultimately, I love this body temple. I absolutely love it. And it's a vessel through which my soul can manifest. They're intertwined. Soul and body are intertwined, which is why I treat it as much as I can as a temple. Um, because when I transition out of it, I'm still energy. Like my energy shifts form into something else. A concept is really something you have to explore within and feel like I feel energy flowing through me all the time and I can tell the different levels and the different vibrations of it and it's because I've spent so much time just sitting with myself and being with myself and feeling the feelings and feeling the sensations of my body that I'm able to recognize when I'm aligned with that deeper self versus what a program Because when I'm in my head, I'm definitely not being my highest self. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it, it really comes for most people uh, living into the highest version of oneself is uh, having a, a deep sense of connection and communication with all of the parts of oneself. Mm -hmm. And so some people would reference their, their intuition or their gut feelings. And uh, especially it can happen through going through a, a cleansing or a detoxifying period where we can let the cells of our bodies really become healthy vehicles to communicate positive feedback with us. Um, until then, a lot of people listening to their full body sensations uh, ends up leading to a recurrent pattern in feeding addictions to gluten and sugar. Um, that's just the reality for America right now, or caffeine and tobacco and alcohol, um, or a smartphone. Uh, but um, when after going through and, and really getting into a in tune, healthy relationship with with one's own cells, then absolutely listening to every every cellular 
uh, piece of intelligence in the body and, and really thinking or meditating into an idea um, and then seeing what the, what the sensations are about that. Um, and at the very least, uh, you know, if it's not as a practice of going into a, a state of envisioning an idea and only doing what's positive, uh, a good piece of advice, um, uh, I think this, this comes from, I think, Laurie Harder, uh, is to not ever make any decisions when you're in a, in a bad state of mind, right? Mm-hmm. Don't make business decisions when you're angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because then, well, you get the lesson. <laughs> You'll get lots of lessons from it, but you're not going to get to the highest space you can be in. I did something really silly. Well, not silly. It's it's joyful. It's very joyful. Um, whenever I do something for my apothecary, I get this little giddiness. And so while I'm talking to you, I'm concocting calendula and hemp oil for a little bit of making. And I get excited. And it was like a simple thing, but it was so excited because that's, that's the joy. Like I was like, oh, I feel like called to be doing this now, and and yay! Like I get to play. That's when I aligned. That's the feeling I feel is play, and that's that's our ultimate. Like we're supposed to play on this planet. We're supposed to feel our innocence. We're supposed to be yes. joy. And and anything that doesn't bring you there isn't really worth your time. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, not not medium term, not long term. Mm-mm. You know, because like, sometimes we gotta when, we gotta we gotta make sacrifices in order so that we can have a a safer space of, of life situation, and then we can have play sometimes. Uh, right. But yeah, that's yeah. that's gotta be our our vision long term is is uh, joy and play and. Uh, you know, it's it's really human to desire community, and there's uh, a large feeling of, uh, and this this kind of taps into the uh, what you referenced earlier in terms of co-housing or living with with different people. Um, it's really popular in the permaculture uh, community to create uh, large houses filled with people and some either strong or loose uh, community agreements that either are or aren't really fulfilled or adhered to and call them intentional communities because people desire community strongly. Right? Yeah. And that's also why, why festivals have become so popular uh, from mm-hmm. Rainbow to Burning Man and so many things in between uh, that in the Northwest we call North, uh, regenerative arts and music festivals that often have permaculture workshops at them. Mm-hmm. We're all feeling the shift. We're all feeling the shift, and it's a lot of us are feeling the shift. And and it's like one of the things that I'm I'm the context of where I'm at right now is I'm living in this space for two more months, and they have a garden that's like high desert, and I so want to just dig into it and like figure out how to bring the soil to its highest level. And and I may not see the end of it. And so that's one of the, the gifts I get to work through is that I can just plant I don't have to be here for them, I can just plant seeds. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's an old proverb of uh of the importance to plant seeds of which the fruits of their trees you won't see during your lifetime. And I think that it's important that, you know, both on the on the macro and the micro level, that on the systems perspective and in our individual relationships, uh, we're facilitating a sense of reciprocity. Mm-hmm. Because I, the, the gifting economy is wonderful and doing things out of pure joy and highest calling and what, what makes your heart sing is great. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's a sense of reciprocity. Yeah. So that people still have some in their cup mm -hmm. rather than continuously gifting out right. and pouring from half filled cups until there's no more. You know, right. like where is where's the fountain? Where is it coming from? Where is it coming from? How much mm -hmm. are we each exchanging or giving? Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite questions that I like asking people is, uh, what's your understanding or what's your interpretation of reciprocity? reciprocity. Giving and receiving. Giving the gifts I have and receiving uh, gifts from the gifts I give. And yeah. only, only getting what I like I've never been motivated by having a lot of money. Like this, like I've never climbed any corporate ladders or anything like that, um, because I want to share. Yeah. And sharing feels so much better than being like you can't have it. So. Yeah, I, I feel you. <laughs> feel good. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, one of my favorite things. Uh, I, I moved last month, and so one of my favorite parts about uh, that transition and, and furnishing my, my home is being able to contact so many friends who are artists and say, you know, hey, I want that piece of yours. I get that as a tapestry, and I get the handouts, or I get that as a paper print. Uh, That's beautiful. You know, it, it's known as in permaculture as slow money. And slow money and slow water are really the concept of making these resources stay closer for longer. Mm. I love that. Yeah. You recently got your own apartment, right? Yep. How is that? Feeling in relationship to how you've been for the past few years of living in community. It feels very aligned. Okay. It feels very, very uh, nourishing. Really. Mm. So there's a, a little bit of lightning of what I mentioned uh, just in the last week or two, I think, because of the emergence of the COVID vaccine. But for the large part, over the past year, I've been noticing something that uh, could be called the paradox of intentional community living during the time of COVID. Okay. Uh, see, most intentional communities are large houses or uh, properties where there's a couple houses or uh, at least Five, four to five bedrooms that adults can occupy. Uh, usually six to ten. Uh, or rooms that are made into bedrooms, right? Um, okay. And during or in those communities, it's most most people tend to have a uh, kind of wide recognition of allowing each other to do the behaviors that each other want to do through the days rather than okay. holding specific contracts and agreements around uh, exposure to different germ bubbles slash COVID. Okay. And so, so living in an intentional community means that a person's going to have, uh, at the time of moving, an intentional relationship of living for some amount of time in the future with these few particular people, though is unintentionally or obligatorily having a relationship uh, and exposure rate to the germ bubbles that each of those people are deciding to be exposed to. Okay. So for myself, as someone who's been in um, networking and direct sales for over a decade, I like connecting with people that I've connected with all throughout my life. And that means continuing and building relationships with people who I've met in volunteering and vending at festivals. It means continuing growing relationships and reconnecting with uh, college friends who I haven't talked with in many years. Um, and what I found is that 
a large portion of people who I've been talking with who I hadn't known prior to that specific recent housing situation, which started during the times of COVID. And so it was kind of COVID uh, cognizant rather than uh, COVID, COVID reactionary, where, okay. you know, anything that's been founded in 2021 is COVID cognizant. It's mm -hmm. uh, in the environment and context of being in a 21st century pandemic we're in. Um, this was started in the summer last year, but still, okay. uh, as much it was COVID cognizant because it was far after April and May. Mm -hmm. um, so ultimately, most of the people who I've been connected with uh, over the phone and over Zoom didn't want to meet up, even if we were both wearing masks for a coffee date or for a hike where we're six feet apart. And that was because I was being exposed to not just the germ bubbles of six to seven other people and whatever germ bubbles they wanted, but also that we started hosting events, hosting events, in particular weekly exact dances. Oh, awesome. And so I was having an obligatory exposure rate to the germ bubbles of about three dozen people who would come okay. every week. So, so I found it in terms of the community living itself, but then also in terms of what events and what decisions members of the community decide to have. Yeah. And yeah. I found myself not even suggesting after a while to people that I was reconnecting with, um, unless I knew that they were what I would call COVID liberal, liberal which is okay. really having uh, a nonchalant attitude. Uh, that we would be compatible for most people who are COVID moderate or COVID conservative and were really present and aware and mindful of their exposure rates. Uh, you know, I found so much rejection of wanting to meet up in person because we hosted the guy dances every week that I stopped bothering to act. And I was just like, okay, I'll just Zoom for the next month or two and then start renting an apartment so that I can actually have an intentional exposure rate to germ bubbles which allows me to actually have intentional relationships. Mm. So that's what I, that's in as, as a nutshell, what I, what I wrap up and I've found as someone who connects with people with a, a diverse array of people who believe different things about COVID. I found the paradox of intentional community living, depriving myself of being able to live and create intentional relationships. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. And it's, and it's really just in the times of the pandemic. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating because like I, so coming from Portland to a town with 3,000 people, um, the dynamics have shifted significantly in terms of um, that, that I know was in Portland, where I'm what would be called COVID liberal, and I like not hiking with a mask, or I like hiking without a mask, rather, um, because I like to breathe. And that is radical. That is very radical in Portland. And I know it's not very radical down here, because I don't see a lot of people. So I, I recognize the difference of city living versus country level living, and um, it's it's truly fascinating to hold space for the various degrees um, and honor them. And, and when I was in Portland, when I was leaving Portland, um, two of my friends that I love dearly or they, they finally did, but there was a lot of reluctance to hug me. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm wearing a mask. I'll turn my head away from you. I love you dearly. I'm grateful that you're allowing me to hug you. But what I've seen is it really, it brings up that fear of death. And I think the more that you avoid that, the harder it's going to be for you to navigate this world.
I agree. Yeah. I've had similar experiences too. Yeah. And, uh, and something that I see both, uh, really concretely from the mathematical perspective and something that, uh, that my father mentioned to me, who's a recently retired doctor. He, uh, just described how much he didn't want to retire into a shutdown economy. <laughs> right? Like, that's not the world he worked for decades to be able to enjoy yeah. retirement. There. Right? Yeah. And so, while a lot of elderly people were more COVID conservative, he was mindful. I mean, he was a doctor. But he was uh, just deploring the, the economic results of the mm-hmm. pandemic. Yeah. Right? And from the from the statistical perspective, it's like how many people are dying every day or every month, right? For for myself, who has conversations with, uh, you know, different times, it's maybe a few hundred active conversations, but it's and long term conversations with about three thousand people, uh, depending on the average age. Uh, you know, someone I know dies about once a month of natural causes. Now I am talking more with people of my own age, rightly, and so it's more like someone I know passes away every three to four months. But there's a few deaths in my life every year. Sometimes wow. very close friends. Wow. And so, if like if the average lifespan is uh, eighty to hundred years, right? How long is the pandemic going to last? And what's the death rate? If the death rate is actually only one and a half percent, which it's pretty much proven to be approximately, uh, you know, maybe two and a half to five percent in high risk populations, or maybe even ten or twenty percent based on your particular condition. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, the death rate is one and a half percent. If the average lifespan is eighty years, you know, it doesn't really make sense to shut down the economy for more than one and a half percent of eighty years, mm-hmm. right? Depending on how we're looking at like the function and role of life, you know, I know that we haven't all just literally had a pause on our existence over the last year, but from from the governance perspective, right? Like, how long are we going to shut down these things based that are supposed to be for the highest calling and the highest fulfillment of life? That is kind of from the for the basics business perspective, and it does kind of require some high and back recognizing that uh, some of the faults of technology and the faults of colonization and the faults of civilization are also part of our highest calling mm-hmm. has been to build uh, what, you know, a long time ago, the skyscrapers would have been called the Tower of Babel, Tower of Babel right? Mm-hmm. Because it's been envisioned that we would uh, essentially use essentially gold or use gold. silver, which was old currency, and at this point, it's uh, the U.S. dollars backed by petroleum, and, and inflation means that literally our planet, our species, is breaking our planet to sustain itself. And so we need to, you know, either end inflation or end the the, the petrol backing of the U.S. dollar or both, in order for currency to actually really become sacred again. But the indigenous origins of currency around the world were sacred. And so I'd like to think that the perception of technology is also sacred. And so we're, we're like, we're here having this, this, uh, podcast interview over video chat during the time of the pandemic. And, you know, there's, there's flaws in, in the tech realm. And, you know, that's part of why crypto, cryptocurrencies and blockchain has been emerging is to critique and to reflect about a better possible way. Um, Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I like to think that all of this is sacred. All you know, it, it's yeah. become an expression of the divine. And we're here. Mm-hmm. And we're here. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. Yeah. The gifts that we're given. I actually had this conversation with my girlfriend today because we saw each other over the weekend. And, and we miss each other because, you know, that, that contact. And she said, but we have this technology. I can hear your voice. I can stay in touch with you. I can't hug you every day, but it's like the salve to the soul that I can still connect with you. And I was like, oh yeah, that's so alive. And so this is the gift we're given as we are in this interesting time in 
the greater shift of humanity. And we're just being given these tools to connect and share our gifts. Yeah. Mm. So I'm called to ask one more question. How can people connect with you, Christopher? Yeah, well, the um, the um, Instagram is pretty popular. Uh, so Instagram and, and my website. Uh, my website is thehippieinthescoot.com. I love that. And that's uh, hippie is spelled with an I-E, so H-I-P-P-I-E. Some people spell it with a Y. And my Instagram is Christopher.Bird with a Z. So Christopher.B-I-R-D-Z. Perfect. Thank you so, so much for your time and your wisdom and sharing this time with me. I'm so, so grateful. It's been an honor. Thank you for having me, Dr. Reedberg. You're so very welcome, Christopher. Can you help me redefine the preservation of our soul shine? I can feel it, yours and mine. Close your eyes and witness it inside. In your bones, you will know Trust and let go and let it flow.